Hey, good morning, church. My name is Joe Hess. I'm the Karen Connections pastor here at church, and it's just good to be with you guys this morning, and thanks for letting me share the message with you all. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I have found myself tired and cranky lately, emphasis on the cranky, and I'm not bragging at all. I'm just trying to be honest, and you know, it seems like our country is cranky too, and I don't know about you guys, but it seems that cranky breeds cranky. And sometimes it seems like we're just looking for a fight. And sometimes when we can't fight the thing that's bugging us, we fight the thing that's right before us. And I know sometimes that's when stupid things happen or hurtful things and sometimes even hateful things, especially to the ones we love. And if you're feeling a little cranky this morning, um, a little overwhelmed maybe or scared or, or anxious, if you've been a little cranky like me, I want us to pray I want us to pray as we enter into to this part of the, the worship service. I want to pray a prayer of grace, um, asking for God's mercy and love to shove the crankiness aside a little bit uh, and let some of the light in. So let's, let's bow our heads. Let me pray us in. Oh, Heavenly Father, um, Lord, sometimes with all of this stuff going on in our lives and in our world, we, we get overwhelmed and scared. And, uh, and for me, I get cranky. And usually not to the world outside, but to my family or to my dog. And Lord, I just pray that um, your word tells us that you are the light. And Lord, I pray that we let some of the light shine in this morning through the songs that we sing, through the prayers, through the message, through communion. I pray this over those that are gathered. I pray this in your son, Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Okay, uh, anybody here ever lose their car keys? Um, Cindy and I, two weeks ago today, we get up early before church at our house and we're going to go for a walk with our dog at a park not too far from, from our house, the Flying Bee Park. We're going to walk along the Highline Canal there. We've got a couple of hours before church starts, plenty of time to go for our walk and get back to church, but we can't find the car keys. Um, they're not in the usual spots. We have this desk off the kitchen. Keys go in this little cubby there. Cindy's rule, they're not there. Cindy's purse, checked, checked that, not there. Checked the dining room table. Checked the little table next to the kitchen, the table that collects all the stuff, not there. Son of a biscuit, where are they? Um, then the question every helpful person in the world would ask when you can't find something, that question comes, you know the question, where did you have them last? And that's fine for most folks, but for me, if I can't, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast, that's not a helpful question. If I could remember where I had them, I would go there and get them. This is Cindy's car, but I drove the car last. We had gone to the store. We were bringing in groceries. I remember unlocking the front door with the keys. And then there's this black hole. I don't remember anything. I, I, I can remember, you know, as I was opening up the door, I, I dropped this bag of groceries. It had a dozen eggs in them. Um, maybe when I checked the eggs, I put the keys in the egg carton. Maybe this is how my brain begins to unravel. I checked the egg carton. Only eggs there. Maybe when we were putting groceries away, maybe I put them under the counter with the plastic bags. Nope, not there. Check the sofa under the cushions, check every chair that we could have sat in, nothing. Check the freezer in the garage, who knows? Not there. Check the car, maybe we left them in the car, not there. Sammy, our dog, jumps in the car, she's ready to go even if we're not. As far as I know, Sammy's never lost car keys before. Then my brain starts to go on overload. Maybe one of our neighbors took them. We had our new neighbors over just the other night on the deck. Maybe they, they confused our keys with their keys. Maybe our new neighbors are key-stealing neighbors. You never know. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe somebody broke into our house last night and stole our keys, left everything else but stole our keys to our 2008 Honda Odyssey van, didn't steal the car, that's not worth very much, but stole the keys. There were a lot of keys there, maybe for metal recycling. Still nothing. We've checked, we've checked everywhere. Check, check the hamper. Maybe we left the keys in one of our pant pockets. Cindy shouts out, I found them. Yay, false alarm. It was a chapstick. Still nothing. We have a spare key somewhere. I know we could use that. Heck, we have another car. We could use that. But that's, that's not the point now. We're on a mission. We've got to find those keys. There are important keys on there. Work keys and stuff. I'll add that our dog, Sammy, she's still waiting in the car for us to get our act together. We go back and check everywhere, everywhere once more, top to bottom. Really looking now. Bedroom, under the bed, kids' room, spare room, living room, dining room, kitchen, family room, basement, garage, tool bench, toolbox. Nothing. Oh God, please help us. Sweet Jesus, help me because I lost those stupid things. Anybody ever been there? Okay, this is real audience participation. If you've been there, if you're on the church online platform, go to the chat window and type in capital letters, big letters, yes, exclamation point. Again, this is audience participation. If you've lost your keys before and struggled finding them, please type a big yes in the chat box. Or if you're on one of our other platforms, just send a big yes to joe.hess at southsuburban.com and I'll know you know. And if you're currently looking for your keys, we'll pray for you right now, okay? Um, Many of us have lost our keys, but most of us have eventually found them. Cindy's keys, they were in a secret side pocket of her purse. To get into the secret side pocket, there's a voice recognition password. Then you need a hard hat, um, safety glasses, and steel-toed boots to get in there. But we found them. Who knows who put them in there? We've been extra careful lately about when when we come back from a trip where we leave our car keys. Yes, most of us have lost car keys. Or maybe it was your cell phone or your dog. Once when our kids were little, I lost both of them in a snowstorm, but that happens to everybody. But we've all lost something, haven't we? Have you ever lost your way? Have you ever lost your way? Traveling along a certain path, thinking you know where you're going, where you're headed, and then somewhere along the way, you say to yourself, how did I, how did I get here? This is not what I thought it would be like. How did I veer off so far? This is audience participation too. Or maybe you're like me, I've got, you've got, sometimes I've got 12 things going on at the same time and I feel like one of those guys on the old Ed Sullivan show spinning those plates on, on the sticks and every one of them is wobbling, ready to fall off, scattered and overwhelmed, just trying to keep most of the plates on the stick, trying to keep my head above water, lost and confused and overwhelmed, afraid it's all gonna come crashing down. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever lost your way? Have you ever lost your faith? Have you ever lost your faith? What what does all this mean, this church, this worship, this Jesus stuff, what what does it mean? Or if you've been hanging around the edges of church for a while and you're not sure what that even means to have a faith, never mind a strong faith, maybe you're feeling that way this morning. Have you ever lost your way? Ever get so distracted by the shiny objects or the paperwork, we lose our focus and and the why we do something or what's most important. Have you ever lost your way? I'm not sure if we'll answer any of those questions today, but maybe the first step towards an answer can be acknowledging I'm feeling a little lost today. And we start from there. We're in the last week of a four-week sermon series. We've been looking at worship songs, songs we sing here at church. 
The first two weeks we looked at and listened to The Old Rugged Cross and Reckless Love. These were songs about God's love for us. These last two songs, last week's song, How Great Thou Art, and now this week's song, Great Are You, Lord, these songs are songs about our response to God's love. We'll fuss with some of that this morning, okay? The gospel story I want us to look at first is from John's Gospel, chapter 9. We've looked at this story before. We looked at it uh, during the summer. Pastor Ike preached on it. But for me, it's worth looking at again. I believe it captures part of our journey, part of our faith journey, part of my faith journey. Maybe it touches on your faith journey too. And I'm going to break protocol this morning. I'm going to ask you not to open your Bible for this story, but just to listen this morning to the gospel story. And I'm going to read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message Translation. And as we listen to this story, we'll also be introduced to this morning's worship song. Again, this is from John's Gospel, starting with the ninth chapter, the first verse. Again, it's from the message. The title, the subtitle of the chapter is called True Blindness. I ask you to listen carefully. These are God's words. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to energetically, we need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus said this and then spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash at the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, why, why isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, it's him all right. But others objected. It's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. But the blind man said, it's me, the very one. They said to the blind man, how did your eyes get opened? A man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said when I washed, I saw. So where is he? I, I don't know. They marched the man to the Pharisees. This day when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. The Pharisees grilled him again on how he had come to see. He said, he put a clay paste on my eyes and I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others countered, how can a bad man do miraculous God revealing things like this? There was a split in their ranks. Imagine that split in the ranks, a division. Folks couldn't agree what happened or what to do. Some folks got bogged down with the technicalities. They came back at the blind man. You're the, you're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe it, didn't believe the man was blind to begin with. Maybe he was faking it. So they called the parents of the man, now bright-eyed with sight. They asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? So how is it that he now sees? And his parents said, we know he is our son and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see, having a clue about who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man and can speak for himself. 
His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. They'd be kicked out of church. That's why his parents said, ask him, he's a grown man. They called the man back a second time, the man who had been blind, and told him, give credit to God. We, we know this man is an imposter. He replied, I know nothing about that one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure. I was blind, and now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. They said, what, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've told you over and over, and you haven't listened. Why, why do you want to hear it again? Are you, are you so eager to become his disciples, his followers, his students? With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man even comes from. The man replied, this is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of ever. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. They said, you're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? And they threw him out in the street. From Psalm 113, Jesus heard they had thrown him out and went and found him. A good shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one. He asked him, do you believe, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? And the blind man said, Master, teacher, rabbi, I believe, the man said, and worshiped him. He and Jesus, they did church, good church, right there in the dusty street. Jesus to the blind man in word and deed says, I love you. And the blind man's response, he worshiped Jesus. A week ago Friday, it was my dad's 90th birthday. Some of you guys know this. My dad lives by himself in Florida in a retirement community. And he's been on lockdown since uh, the middle of March when all this COVID stuff happened. And uh, we wanted to celebrate in a big way this summer with my dad, but we couldn't happen because of all the circumstances. So my brothers and sisters, I've got six brothers and sisters and their spouses. We got on a, a Zoom call with all, the, with all the kids and the grandkids and the great grandkids. There were 21 folks on the Zoom call, 21 little squares around the, the Zoom room, if you will. We celebrated my dad's life. We, we celebrated who my dad is. We shared stories. We went around the Zoom room, each one of us telling how my dad my, or grandpa had touched them in a special way. We celebrated my dad. We told my dad we loved him. This song, Great Are You, Lord, celebrates who God is. The song is about life and love and hope and the restoring of broken hearts. It's about God's very breath in us. It's a song that celebrates God and who God is. It reminds us how close God is to us in every breath, in the penuma, in the Holy Spirit. The song reminds us that God is not up there somewhere, but right here. It's also our prayer that someday from Psalm 113, all the earth will shout your praise. My heart will cry, my bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, a.k.a. knucklehead. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This faith journey, my faith journey, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's like the song Pastor Ike reminded us a while back. I can see clearly now the rain 
has gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. And then other times, it can be such a struggle. And that's partly why we need to do church together in community, to remind each other that we're not alone, that God's with us right here to love each other through the valleys and the times when life kicks the snot out of us. Uh, some of you guys know Henry Woodward. Um, a couple of years ago, I went mount, mountain biking with Henry. Uh, some of you guys know Henry. He was a long, longtime member of our church. He was also on our staff, our facilities staff for years. He's a really good mountain bike rider, me not so much. He took me on a trail that he said was like a three on a rating scale, a difficulty scale from one to 10. For me, it was like a 10. Or maybe if I'm honest, it was like a 12. And he would go over these rocky areas and I would follow him in and invariably I would fall or get knocked off the bike. And like by the third time this happened, Henry said, you're, he tells me, you're doing it all wrong. He tells me, you gotta stop looking at, at right in front of your wheel. You do that, you'll fall every time. You've gotta look out 10 feet in front of your wheel and you'll be fine. I didn't believe him. I was just trying to avoid the big rocks. He said, trust me, I didn't. He said it louder and I kept falling. Finally, I did listen, and it was not intuitive. It was against every instinct in my body. I looked past the front wheel, some 10 feet out, and I made it through the rocks, unscathed. I think sometimes when we worship right, when we do church close to, to, to being right, that's what we have to do. We have to stop looking down, and we have to look out and up. It's not intuitive, though, and it can be scary. That's what these worship songs try to do for us. They remind us to look out and up, they, they help direct us from, from here or, or here to out there or to here. True worship, true worship, it's the celebration of Jesus. It's entering into the faith story, our faith story. From St. Paul, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And Pastor Gerald, who used to, to, to be here, was the senior pastor for, before Pastor Rick. He used to ask us all when there was a therefore in Scripture, he'd ask us, what's the therefore? In this case, it was about Jesus, the Son of God, coming down from heaven and becoming human, just like, like us, in every way, in every way but sin, and then going to the cross for us, taking our sin away. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, um, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. It's because of that we can do this. This is from Hebrews. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. True worship, it's not a passive thing. It's not just watching it on a Zoom screen or like watching a football game without a, without, with, with an empty stadium. It's interactive. It's about connecting. It's about relationships with God and with each other. It's reminding each other that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in and through Christ Jesus. True worship reminds us to take care of our neighbors. It reminds especially the widows and the orphans. And don't forget the lost sheep. True worship happens in community. I bring my half a mustard seed and you bring your half and together maybe we can move a mountain or two or feed someone that's hungry or remind them that we're in this together. On our, own, on our own, we're the blind guy stumbling around or walking off a cliff. Together we hold each other up. We offer an arm from Ram Das. From Ram Das, when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, we're all just walking each other home. 
This morning's song reminds us it's your breath, God, in our lungs. COVID times and ventilators and air quality from fires that, that are worse than any day in China or Mexico City, all of that is real and we struggle. But it's still your breath, Lord, in our lungs till you call us home. We learn to swim by swimming. We learn courage by doing courageous things. We learn courage by, by couraging, by practice. We learn to worship by worshiping. I heard this from a speaker years ago, Leonard Sweet. He's a theologian, a writer. He's a president at a, at a seminary. He talked about challenging us to do epic church, epic church. And the E is experiential. We need to come expecting an experience with God. Wherever two or more are gathered, I will be there, God's word says. And the P is participatory. We need to actively engage in it, not just watch it, but engage in, in the worship. And it's image-based. The eye is image-based. The cross, the shepherd leaving the 99, going after the one, the breaking of the bread, the drinking from the cup. And see, it's about connections, connecting our heart to God's heart, God to ours, and then to each other during communion. It was a week ago Friday, September 25th. I was going to work on this message, my first draft, my, my SRD, my shoddy rough draft. I was going to have some time to really focus on it uninterrupted, my mother-in-law, Penny, had stayed over the night before. She got up early with Cindy and I. She told us she was going to go drive out to the little cemetery in Sedalia this morning. She reminded both of us, it was 57 years ago today, she lost her husband, Mac, Cindy's dad. Cindy was just a baby. My wife was just a baby, a year and a half old back then. Everybody called Cindy's dad Mac, short for McIntyre. His full name was Melvin Joseph McIntyre. And Cindy had to go to work that morning. She couldn't go, but I felt God telling me this message could wait. I could make time to go with Cindy's mom down to the cemetery. My focus changed. This message, this shoddy rough draft, this SRD would have to wait. And as we visited that morning, Cindy's mom and I, she told me the story again. And some of it I had heard before, but other parts were new to me. And I asked her what she remembered about that day, September 25th, 1963. She told me she remembered everything like it was yesterday. And Mac was a fighter pilot for the Marines and really a trainer of the other pilots. And they were stationed at Camp Pendleton, about an hour north of San Diego. And this day they were, gonna, they were doing war games, 30,000 Marines practicing for war. He told Cindy's mom he wasn't looking forward to going to work that day. Before he left that morning, his last words to his wife, to Penny, to Cindy's mom, I love you. And hers to him, I love you too. He wasn't in a jet that day. He was assigned to a helicopter with another man and the pilot. And while they were in flight, the winds came up unexpectedly. The Santa Ana winds, they were blown into some high-powered electrical lines. They went down, no survivors. It was exactly 2.10 p.m. when he was killed. The exact minute, the exact minute Cindy's mom watched that Mac had given her stopped. The cemetery where Mac, Cindy's dad, is buried, it's just south of Sedalia, off of Highway 105, Perry Park Road, St. Philip's in the Field is the little church there. It's a beautiful place, and for our family, it's a sacred place, holy ground. We got there that morning, it was early at about 8.30. No one else was there, but we did church there that morning. 
Next to the grave, we prayed, we remembered, we held each other tightly, we held on to the promises that God was with us and that we couldn't wait for the party in heaven someday when we get there. And as I came back home to work on this message, my, my SRD, to focus on this message, the last words shared between Cindy's mom, Cindy's dad and her mom, they resonated with me. I love you, I love you too. And I realized that's been the focus of this series, whether we knew it or not. The, the first two songs we looked at, The Old Rugged Cross and Reckless Love, they were about God telling us, I love you, I love you, don't you forget it. Then these last two songs, How Great Thou Art and, and Great Are You, Lord, these are songs about us telling God, I love you too. And maybe that's the heart of worship, the heart of our faith journey. No matter how lost we may get or how lost we may seem, no matter if you can find the car keys or not, the heart of doing church well, good church, it's remembering how much God loves us and us remembering to tell God we love him too. And Jesus, quoting Old Testament scripture, told us to focus on that, love the Lord God with your whole heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you've got and then love the things that God loves. From St. Paul in Romans, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, to offer your whole selves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Help put the cranky away. I believe worship realigns us with what's most important. When we come close to that, we're doing pretty good church whether it's online or in person, whether it's in this building or at home or at school or at work. It's a commitment to walking with, with each other during the ups and downs and all the rounds of life. It's putting skin in the game. It's hearing God's voice tell each and every one of us, I love you, and thus responding back, I love you too. And Jesus to the blind man, by word and deed, I love you. And the blind man to Jesus, I love you too. That's what worship is all about. That's what this song is all about. I pray this song over you now without interruption. And remember this, Jesus loves you guys, and I do too.